Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 14, you know, as we go through the Gospel, we come to the section that has to do with the beheading of John the Baptist. But as we look at this, right, as we're talking about the account of his beheading, I really see this as an account of two men. And the men that I'm talking about is one who is a great leader and another who is a very weak leader. And this is the title of today's message, Great Leader versus Weak Leader. The two men that I'm talking about is John the Baptist, who of course is a great leader, and we'll talk about that, as well as Herod the Tetrarch, which is a very weak leader. You know, we're going to spend more time on Herod the Tetrarch instead of John, only because the Bible gives us great insight, as well as time on this man. And when we look at this, right, When we look at men and women in the Bible, we study them only so that we can learn from them, so that we can learn their good qualities as well as avoid the negative qualities or the bad qualities. And one thing is for certain that I really enjoy giving character studies because we can look at these men and women in regards to what the Bible reveals about each and every one of them. That way we can imitate some of these good qualities or we can avoid some of these negative qualities. When it comes to John, we're going to first talk about, of course, the John the Baptist and this man. I want to share this with you. This man was considered a great leader. And what I love about this is that he was considered a great leader, not just by any man, But he was considered a great leader by the authority over all mankind. And let's think about that, right? This man is considered a great leader. And he was called the great leader by Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in Matthew 11, verse 11. It says, Surely I say to you, among those born of women there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Think about that, right? There has not risen one with greater authority, or I should say, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And as we meditate on that, right? The Lord is basically telling us that this man was greater than Moses. That this man would be greater than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Joseph. That this man was greater than David. That this man was greater than any of the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elijah or Elisha. Imagine, these were great men. There were great kings in in Judah, right? The good kings. And yet, Jesus Christ calls this man greater than all of them. You know, why was he so great? Let's think about this, right? Why would Jesus say this man is so great? I believe that John the Baptist was great because he chose to fulfill his calling. Think about that. We all have a calling in our lives. Are you moving 
in the calling that God has for you? Are you choosing to do what He's called you to do? One thing about John the Baptist is that he influenced people towards righteousness. This is why he would be considered so great, right? Because he influenced people towards righteousness. He can never force people to be righteous, but he influenced them towards righteousness. One thing about John the Baptist is that he was a doer of the word, and he lived in the will of God. Think about that. He did the word and he lived in the will. John the Baptist also loved people, right? I mean, this is why he gave the messages that he gave. It was to give forth truth, and you give forth truth to those that you love. John walked in great humility, reminding everyone that he must decrease and who must increase? Jesus, right? Imagine the humility of this, of this man. But see, even though he was a great man, he was also a great leader. And you can see leaders or people becoming great leaders as they submit to God's divine authority. Think about that. You see people becoming leaders when they submit to God's divine authority and will in their lives. That's how you become leaders, right? When you're submitting to God's divine authority. As John did, you see people becoming leaders as they influence people to do the right thing and encourage people to walk away from what? From sin, from evil, right? You know, when you see leaders that love the people that God has placed under them, you know, this is how you become great leaders. See, John was a great man and a great leader and the weak leader was King Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. And so, as we examine his weakness, I pray that the Lord would speak to us in areas of our weakness to warn us not to follow in his example. But as we look at these two men, as we looked at John the Baptist, and now we're going to examine Herod the Tetrarch, I'm going to close with points on becoming great leaders. Because I truly believe that everyone here has been called to become a great leader. It's not just a sign for a few, but these are the things that God will reveal to us so that we can walk and become those leaders that God has called us to be. Let's go ahead and read. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 in chapter 14 and then we'll expound on the verses and Allow the Spirit of God just to reveal, to give us insight, to exhort us, to admonish us, and to give us what is relevant for us today. Verse 1 says in Matthew 14, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. 
So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So as we see here, we see the details. We see the two men basically mentioned. We see Herod the Tetrarch and, and we see John the Baptist. And, you know, this whole chapter is really about them and, of course, the wife of Herod. Or I should say, as Jesus called her, the wife of Philip, his brother. One thing that God never did is Jesus never acknowledged Herodias as a wife of Herod and we'll explain why in a few seconds. But let's read verse 1 and verse 2 and let's give you some insight as to Herod and, and just who he was. Verse 1 says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead and therefore th these powers are at work in him. You know, as we look at the Herods, right? How many of us get confused with all the Herods mentioned in the Bibles? There's a lot of King Herods in there, right? And before I talk about this Herod the Tetrarch, I want to mention to you the four prevailing Herods. There was one Herod that started the dynasty, the Herod dynasty, and that was Herod the Great. Okay, And we all know Herod the Great, as I give you the insight, that he was the one that ordered all of the infants to be killed when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. This Herod was extremely evil. He was extremely wicked. He was very demonic. He had actually either nine or ten wives. That's still under debate whether it was 9 or 10. But one thing about this man is that he had no issues killing off his sons or his wives if they threatened any of his authority. That's Herod the Great. And so Herod the Great had a lot of children. He had, as he had 9 or 10 wives, he had a lot of sons from these wives. And, and the next Herod that we're going to talk about is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. This is actually Herod the Tetrarch that we're talking about now. And this is this Herod. And the reason why he was given the title of the Tetrarch was because he ruled over a fourth of the kingdom. That's the definition of Tetrarch. To rule over a fourth of a kingdom. And the kingdom that he was ruling over was Palestine, the, the Jewish kingdom. And so... He was only in charge of a fourth, and that would make it that he was in charge of Galilee and Perea. So these were the areas that he was in charge of. And we know one thing about the Herods is that, or I'll, you know what, I'll mention that towards the end. Let me talk about the third Herod before I go there. Or you know what, I forgot to mention some things about this Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, Jesus referred to this man as a fox. Luke 13 verse 31 and verse 32. And this is the same Herod that actually judged or spoke to Jesus 
and attempted to have Jesus respond to him when Jesus was tried. Luke 23, verses 7 through 12. So that's Herod the Tetrarch. Now we're going to move to the third Herod. And this is Herod Agrippa I. This actually, or this Herod became actually king again over all of Palestine. Just like Herod the Great. And we know that Herod had several sons and he put all of them in charge of different areas there in Palestine. While Herod Agrippa, this once again united Palestine and he became the king over all of them. This was not a son of Herod the Great, but he was the grandson of Herod the Great. And we all know this Herod because he's the one that killed the Apostle James. He's the one that had him murdered, that had him executed. And he's also the one that imprisoned Peter. And all of this is in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And then the last Herod, this is Herod Agrippa II. He is actually the son of Herod Agrippa I. And we all know him because he's mentioned in Acts 25, verses 13 and 14, where he spoke to Paul when Paul was under trial there in Rome. And so you have all of these Herods. And I want to give you some insight on these Herods because these Herods, understand this, they were not Jewish. These Herods were actually Edomites. And what do I mean by Edomites? How many of us are familiar with Esau, the brother of Jacob? Remember, they were twins. Isaac had twins. He had Jacob and he had Esau. And Esau is actually the father of the Edomites. And so these Edomites are, they're Ancestry comes from Esau, but they're all descendants. They're all Edomites. And so you could imagine now, as I give you this insight, because it is Rome that placed these Herods in power. They wanted the Jews controlled, and the only way to control them was to have somebody of their own ruling over them. But for the Jews, they rejected Herod. Why? Because he's not Jewish. He's actually an Edomite. But yet, this is the way Caesar thought that he could control and keep peace there in Jerusalem. And so, for the Herods, the Jews never truly accepted them as their king. So that's enough for the Herods. Let's now move into the context of the verse here in verse 1. It says that Herod heard the report about Jesus. So what we have here is, Really some insight, right? The reader is telling us that really Herod didn't know much about Jesus. The only way he came to know Jesus was, again, hearing the report of his teachings, of his message, of the miracles that he did, as well as the healings that he did. And so this is when he heard of Jesus, he's immediately reminded of John the Baptist. See, because the teachings that Jesus gave were Again, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And Jesus repeated that. And so immediately, of course, John the Baptist has a rec- I mean, uh, Herod has, King Herod has a recollection of John the Baptist and his teachings. And so he immediately begins to think that this is John the Baptist who has been brought back from the dead. Even though the teachings... And the messages were very similar to Jesus. 
One thing we know about John the Baptist is that he never performed miracles like Jesus. When you look at John 10.41, it speaks this. But we know that the Spirit that spoke through John is the same Spirit that speaks through Jesus. And because of this, that's why Herod said, you know what? John the Baptist has come from the dead. So as we look at this, right, we're given present time. But the following verses are now past time because, see, the writer, Matthew, wants us to understand what happened to John. And most of all, he wants, to give, he wants to give us the insight on Herod the Tetrarch. And so in order to receive that, we now have, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew writing about Herod so we can learn from Herod as well as the things that God desires us to know. And so now we're going to go to the past, beginning here in verse 3, as he now talks about what happened to John the Baptist in the hands of Herod. And so let's read the first two verses. Verse 3 says, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So we have here Matthew letting us know why John the Baptist was arrested and placed in prison. And the reason why he was arrested is, is what it tells us there in verse 4. But we also have the same account in Mark chapter 6, verse 18, and it tells us where John said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And then we're given insight as to the response that his wife has with John's rebuke. It says there, Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. So you have here this woman, right? This woman that becomes angry, she becomes upset, and she wants John the Baptist killed. Who is Herodias? It's important for me to give you the insight on this woman so that we can have an understanding as to what is going on. Herodias, even though it's very close to the name Herod, it's not, you know, it's not Herod and it's not a male. Herodias is actually a woman, a beautiful woman. And she was married to another of Herod the Great sons. Remember, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. And so Herodias was married to another son of Herod the Great, and his name was Philip, Philip I. And it's actually Herod the Tetrarch, who we're talking about now, it's his half-brother. And so Herodias is married to the half-brother of Herod, which is Philip. And this is before what we're reading here. And let me share with you about Herodias, because Herodias is just as evil as Herod the Tetrarch, as Herod the Great, as all the Herods. She was actually the niece of Philip. She was actually, of course, remember, they're brothers, and actually Herodias is the niece. She was born to one of Herod's sons, and she married one of her uncles. And so you have all of this, right? And you have Herodias, you know, that is... You know, as we look at this, as we talk about this, we see, 
you know what, that now she's married actually to Herod the Tetrarch. How did that happen? See, what, happens, what happened is that Herod the Tetrarch, who we're talking about now, he went to visit his brother Philip in Rome. And when he went to visit his brother Philip in Rome, that is when he met Herodias. And he fell in love with Herodias. At this time, Herod the Tetrarch is actually married himself and he's married to the daughter of the king of Petra. And so when he seduces Herodias and she agrees to all of this, you know, because she, she willfully gave herself to Herod the Tetrarch, that they end up making a plan and they said, okay, you know what, you divorce my brother Philip and I will divorce my wife. And so they do exactly that. He divorces his wife and she divorces her husband. But what happened here to Herod this Tetrarch is that when he divorced his current wife, he actually decides to take his wife back to his father-in-law. Oh, and this really stirred up the king of Petra. What he ends up doing is he gets so upset because Herod, King Herod, takes back his daughter that he actually sends an army and they conquer the army of, Her- of Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. And so what ends up happening there is the only way that Herod survives this is because the Romans come in and they help Herod the Tetrarch. But when we look at John the Baptist, the leader that he was, He says, you know what, I'm going to call out sin for what it is. And so he called out the sin of Herod marrying his sister-in-law. And so that's where Herodias just, she doesn't like it. She doesn't want to be known as an adulteress, even though that's what she is. So she gets upset and she becomes bitter, bitter and she wants him dead. And so now you get a sense of what's going on and you, some of us may be thinking, man, this stuff is crazy, right? This sounds like some of the novelas on TV. And I hope nobody here watches novelas. But I think we've all have seen them at one time or another. But see, that which is going on here is the same thing that's going on in our world today. It's no different, right? I mean, we're... It's pretty pathetic. I mean, it's pretty sick, the world, and what it's doing today, right? It's, you know, we have uncles just like here abusing and assaulting their nieces, their nephews. You have brothers sleeping with their brothers' wives. You know, it's no different. But when we read it, it just comes out at us and we're just like, wow, this is pretty crazy and it's pretty sad, but... It is really the world that we live in. And so now you get a sense as to what's, what's happening. And so let's read verse 5. It says, And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. We're going to stop here because I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about King Herod. King Herod was a man that was so afraid of things. Have you ever met people that are fearful? They never have rest, do they? Fearful people are never resting. 
And so this man was a man of fear. As we read here, he feared the crowd because he knew that, you know what, if he did anything with John because of his wife, that the people might come against him and, and then he would lose his position as king. But Mark gives us additional fears that this man has. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 20. It says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So we also see here, not only did Herod fear the crowd, not only did he fear man, and we know that the fear of man is a snare, right? But he also feared John. And why did he fear John? Because, you know what? He knew that John was just and holy and, and because of this he protected him. But he had a fear and yet he still wanted him dead. So you see that there's a struggle going on within John, right? Because John actually enjoyed speaking to John. I mean, Herod enjoyed speaking to John. But yet there was also a fear of John and there was a fear of people. So there's a struggle that is within This man. See, a man that gravitates to truth, if he doesn't know truth, that means there's a struggle within him. See, there's always a struggle within any of us, right? When it has to do with sin and truth, right? I mean, this is what happens to many of us, right? We have the struggles within ourselves, right? When it comes to the spirit and the flesh. But when it comes to fear, what does the Bible Say about fear. Look at what it says in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So God is saying that to the born-again believer, understand this, we will walk in power, we will walk in love, and we will walk possessing a sound mind. Prior to us becoming Christians, how many of us? We didn't walk in any type of power. We didn't walk in God's love. We... None of us even had a sound mind, right? We were just moved by every wind of doctrine, everything that everyone said, our emotions. We were just like the waves of the sea coming and going. But see, for the people, especially today, today there is a a greater sense of fear than ever in the history of mankind, right? And why? I don't know if many of you heard this morning or last night, I should, early this morning, I should say, 1 o'clock. How many of you heard about the bomb that went off there in, in New York? Again, terrorism. No one was killed. People were injured, but no one was killed. But again, it's terrorism, right? And the way it's going on today, I mean, we're seeing these terrorists all over and it's brought, what, a sense of fear amongst the people. And especially with the unrest that is happening in In our world today, there is so much fear in people. But look at what happens to the believer, right? Even though the Lord, I mean, the Lord has just revealed to us that God has given us a spirit of fear, but look at what happens to the believer and why there is no fear within us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. The Bible reminds us of the inner torment that's within a person. But yet, the person who surrenders themselves to the love of God, the Bible tells us that the inner torment vanishes. That's what it says. 
So as soon as you surrender yourself to the Lord, the inner torment vanishes. Why? Because you've now made peace with God. Think about that. And when you make peace with God, the Word of God tells us that He gives us His Spirit to dwell within us. And so now we have the Spirit who gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And so as we realize this, right, this is why He says, you know what? There is no fear in love. The love that God has for us, it casts out this fear. Because it vanishes as we surrender to His love. And now we have the spirit of love, power, and sound mind. What kind of leader was Herod? I mentioned to you right now, right, that he was a very weak leader. He wasn't a good leader. But when we look at the world around us, this is what we see today. Same type of leader that, that Herod was. But I know for one thing, and I mentioned this earlier, I believe and I see here men and women who have been called to become great leaders. But how do we become great leaders, right? This is the insight that the Lord wants to give us now. I'm going to give you five points on becoming great leaders. And the first point is this. Great leaders influence. Remember that. We just talked about the influence of John. We, we know the influence of Jesus. He'll never force you, but he influences you. See, when we look at Herod, was he, inf- was he influencing people? He was influencing people. He was influenced by everyone. Let me share this. He was influenced by the crowd, wasn't he? He was also influenced by his wife. And he was also influenced by his fear and his flesh. See, the only influence that we had was his influence over Herodias. Think about that. He influenced her to do what? To commit adultery with him. See, I want you to understand one thing. A good leader does not influence people to sin. A great leader will influence people to do good, but never to do evil. See, Great leaders will always influence people to walk in righteousness. Though a leader, I want you to understand this, can never force you to do good, but he will always influence you. And how can we influence, or how can a great leader influence people? By being an example. By being an example. When Jesus called Israel to be the head and not the tail in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13, that instruction was for Israel, but I believe it's also the instruction for us. We are called to influence people to Christ. That was the responsibility of the Israelites, right? But they decided to do what? To keep God to themselves. They didn't want anyone else to hear about God. They were to influence people towards God, but they failed at what they were called to do. Look at what Paul shares in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. When you look at Paul, how many of us would agree that Paul was a great leader? You know what? If it wasn't for Paul, well, God would have done it through somebody else, but 
Through Paul, God decided to bring the gospel to the known world. This is why he came over here. This is why he came outside of the Jews. He was called for this responsibility and he walked in his calling. Just like John the Baptist. Look at what also Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth for you that are younger, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So now I say to you, examine your life. Are you a great leader? Are you influencing people to do good? Are you directing them on the path of good or no good? Only you can answer that. I love what Quincy Adams said, our sixth president. He said this. He says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Understand this. Godly leaders are so needed in our world today. You've been called to do this. And I pray that there will be many great leaders that will be birthed in and through this fellowship. And why do I say this? For the sake of your families. For the sake of your communities. For the sake of the world around us. This is what God wants to do in a world that is so darkened by sin. God desires that great leaders would be birthed and that great leaders would influence. As we go back to Herod, let's read verse 6. says, But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. It's Herod's birthday. And so there's a celebration. And I want you to understand that just like we celebrate birthdays, they celebrated birthdays, but their birthdays were not celebrated the way we celebrate birthdays today. I want to give you insight on how they celebrated birthdays. And this was typical of Rome. Men. Men would celebrate their birthdays by having a stag party. And what does that mean? It means that only men attended their parties. And what would happen after this is that they would bring a lot of food and a lot of alcohol. And after they were drunk and after they ate so much and, you know, that they were just so full with food and so filled with alcohol, then they would bring the dancing girls in. And then what would happen after the dancing girls were there, then they would become a sexual orgy. That's exactly what would happen. That's how they celebrated their birthdays. That's exactly what they would do. And so when the daughter of Herodias, who would have been between the age of 15 or 16 years of age, she comes in. And what's so sickening about this, I want you to understand, is that King Herod was aroused by his stepdaughter. And what's so sickening beyond that is that it was her mother that sent her daughter 
so that her father-in-law can see her dance. It's pretty bad. But after King Herod sees her, he says, you know what? Whatever you want, I'll give to you. And Herodias, right, his wife, who sent her daughter in there to dance before her husband, she's going to seize the opportunity. See, because in Mark chapter 6, verse 24, it tells us that she went out of the room to her mother's location. Remember, the only women that would go in there would, would be those that would dance and then those that would just, you know what, sleep with everyone that was in there. So the mother was out of the place, and so she leaves the place, and she asks her mother, what do I do? What do I ask for? And she tells the daughter, whose name was actually Salomai, and we get this from Josephus, the Jewish historian, that tells us who this woman was, and she actually ends up marrying another Philip, another son, a grandson. But, again, her request was this, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so, back to verse 9, it says, And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought in a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Imagine, that's a, a head on a platter. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. We read here, right? John the Baptist is very sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. Herod, King Herod is very sorry. When we look at Mark chapter 6 verse 26, it tells us that he was exceedingly or exceedingly sorry. Why was he sorry? Because in verse 20, right, of Mark 6, it tells us that he knew that John was just and holy. And because of the pressure from his wife, you know what? He had to kill him. But he was still protecting him. But up until this point, he could no longer protect John the Baptist. Because he had to save Face. Remember, when they had these parties, we're talking about a king. He invited all the dignitaries. He invited also Roman officials. He invited them all there. And so, he had no choice because of the oath that he made that he had to follow through. I'm going to share this with you. He did have a choice. King Herod could have said, you know what? I am not going to follow through with this. Just like we all have choices. Every day you, are, you wake up with a choice either to do right or to do wrong. Your day is filled with choices. This morning you had a choice to either run the red light or stop. You had a choice to eat breakfast or not. You had a choice to, you know what, to wear black or white. You had a choice to wear your shoes. Every day is of choices. But there are also spiritual choices that you make. Every day they're filled with that same thing. Herod had a choice to make. And he made the wrong choice. I'm going to share this with you. And I told you I'd give you five points. And the rest of our time we're going to talk about these remaining four points. 
Number two is this. Leadership is a choice. Great leadership is a choice. As I mentioned earlier, good leadership is a daily choice. Are we going to make choices to influence people by the example that you set? Or are you not going to do that? See, we have a choice. Either we're going to influence people or we're not. We can all succumb to our flesh and live out the lust of our flesh or we can make a choice to lead by example. See, the Lord wants us to become those leaders that influence people to do good. Leaders that stand up for righteousness. Holy leaders, leaders of integrity. Something that is lacking in our world today. Are you up for the challenge? Are we desiring to be great leaders, leading those around us to do good? I think we can all identify whether someone is a bad or a good leader. But see, it's always a choice. You can change from becoming a bad leader into becoming a good leader, a great leader. Herod made the choice, and we know that he remained and will always be known as a terrible king, as a horrible king. I'm going to give you the third thing, because see, even though he was born into royalty, The third point that I want to share with you is great leaders are made, not born. Great leaders are made, not born. How many of you have heard that phrase? You know what? He's a natural born leader. It's a false statement. Why do I say it's false? Because we have the Word of God that tells us what? That there is none none good, no, not one. We are all born sinners. And a man, that pract- a man or a woman that practices sin can never be a great leader. See, Matthew chapter 15 tells us this. Jesus said himself, There are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Jesus doesn't mention a great leader here. He says, There are blind leaders of the blind. And these blind leaders lead the blind and they both what? Fall into a ditch. In other words, they're all messed up. They're headed into destruction. See, what happens is is that the only way for a leader to become a great leader is to have the Spirit of God come upon him. And what happens there is that you become great only because it's the Spirit of God that now dwells in you. And that is that great power that we talked about. See, and it's all Him. I mean, I don't want us to get any ideas that, you know, it's in and through ourselves, that we make ourselves. It's God that makes us who we are today. There's nothing for us to boast in. See, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, when we are born again, you become that new creation and that new creation walks now in the newness of life. And there's no way that you can become a good leader without the Spirit of God. But even with the Spirit of God, think of this, right? It's still a choice on a daily basis to lead people towards righteousness. And that is by the example on how you live. 
My fourth point is this. Great leaders submit to authority. You can never become an effective leader unless you know how to submit to authority. Let me repeat that. You cannot become an effective leader unless you know how to submit to authority. Every single one of us. See, as a kid, you're always thinking, you know what, I'm going to be the authority. That's an immature way of thinking. See, every single one of us must recognize that we will always have authority over us. And especially, you will always have a spiritual authority over you. And that is the Lord Himself. See, when it comes to spiritual leadership, God is going to test you before He gives you greater authority. And you may ask, how does He test me? See, if you want to be great, you must learn to be under authority and the authority of God and the authority of others, but I want to reveal this to you in a manner that you will understand. See, for us, in order to, be, to test you, God places people over you. He places the visible people over you. And He places visible authority over you only to test your submission. See, because if you can submit to visible authority, then you will have no issue submitting to an invisible authority, which is God. If you can't learn to submit to this authority, then there's no way that God is going to... There's no way that you can submit to authority that is invisible to the Lord Himself. And this is where people get it all mixed up. They say, you know what? I don't need to pay attention. I don't need to listen to them. I do what I want to do. You're going to learn the hard way. Because we are tested. And when we pass the test, then God gives you authority. And if you want to be great leaders and you want to have great leadership, then guess what? We've got to understand that submission is key. Submission is key. See, and we have the greatest example when it comes to this. When it comes to Jesus Christ, who did Jesus Christ submit to? God the Father. Remember what he said in Luke 22, verse 42. He says, I came to do the will of the Father, not my own will. And because of his submission to his Father, and this is the same way the Lord rewards us, he raises us up. But look at what he did to Jesus Christ when he submitted to the will of God the Father. This is what happened in Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was the result of the submission that Jesus had towards God the Father. And Jesus is, of course, the greatest of all leaders. I'm going to close with this final point. And this is 
that great leaders love. Great leaders love. And you may be saying, what am I talking about? Leaders will always love those that are underneath them. Those that have been assigned to them. And the love that they give is not just in word, but it's actually in action. See, the one that we have, the perfect example of the greatest of all is, of course, the Lord Himself. And what did He say in John 10:11? He says, A good shepherd gives His life for the sheep. See, a great leader will always love the sheep. He's willing to give His life for the sheep. We all agree that Paul the Apostle was a great leader. Did not he sacrifice his life for the people? You look at all the apostles, the same thing. You look at all the men and women that were great leaders. They were willing to give up their lives for those that were assigned to them. See, when you are willing to die for others, you're a great leader. When you're willing to give up your life for them. See, when I talked about all these, great, these points of great leadership, it all points to Christ. He influences us to do good. You know, when we look at the fact that that he had a choice. Remember in the garden, it was a very difficult one where sweats of blood came out. But he says, you know what? Not my will, but his will be done. You know, when we talk about submitting to authority, did not Jesus submit to the will of the Father? He knew he had authority too, even though he was equal with him, but yet he still what? Submitted to the authority. And what about his love? Greater love than has no one than this than to give his life for his friends. You know, leadership, we have John the Baptist who walked in the same points that I'm talking about now. And I truly believe that God has called all of us here to become great leaders to influence your families, to influence your communities, to influence the world around us. But as we talked, it's all a choice, isn't it? Are we going to walk in these points that the Lord spoke on or just say, hey, that was good stuff, but I'm going to keep doing my own thing. The world is in desperate need of great leaders, men and women, to lead people to Christ, to lead people into righteousness, to lead people by your example. But it all starts with one decision, and that is surrender. Are you willing to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ? Are you ready and willing to surrender yourself to His will? And with that, we're going to close. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your message. We thank You for Your insight. We thank You for the things that You have shared with us. 
But as we are reminded, it all starts with our surrender to you, the choice. How can we become great, effective leaders unless we have your spirit within us? And how do we gain your spirit? How do we gain this power? By surrender. By placing our faith in you. By surrendering our lives to you. By believing in who you are. Truly believing within our hearts. I'm going to give you now an opportunity. If there is anyone here that desires to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, you can't be a leader unless an effective, powerful, great leader unless He's dwelling within you. And if you've been practicing sin, if your example has not been one of a true leader, then it's time now to surrender and say, yes, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want you in my life. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Is there anyone else that wants to surrender themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, we thank you for this one that raised her hand. Lord, you spoke to her. And she heard, she listened, she surrendered. Lord, I thank you for speaking to all of us, Lord, on great leadership. Lord, I pray that you would raise up great leaders from this place. That we would take to heart the things that we heard, the points that were mentioned, and that we would allow them to live deep within our hearts. That beginning this day, that we would effectively walk in those things that you have pierced us with. I'm going to pray for for all of us and that includes myself. I'm going to pray that we would become these great leaders of God, both men and women. Heavenly Father, we heard you today loud and clear. I pray, Lord, that as we heard your message now, that our desire, Lord, would be to surrender to your will. As you revealed, Lord, what it takes to become a great leader, that we would walk in these things. Lord, we want to affect, we want to influence our families our communities, the world around us. Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon us today. Fill us and baptize us. And those things, Lord, that are grieving you, Lord, 
bring unto our attention. Take the blinders off. Help us to see and help us to choose. To choose you, Lord. Lord, move powerfully through each and every one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, if you could come forward.